Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulaqui, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook. To get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded then of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, studio number 310-441-0555. Um, going to get into the books of the week because on Monday night's show, I was very happy to be joined by Nazani Noor, where we discussed the situation in Iran and also how those of us outside of the United States can show support or take some kind of action to help the individuals in Iran who, of course, are sacrificing so much and doing so much. The least we can do is to spread awareness, share what's happening, reach out to public figures, politicians, whoever it is, to make sure we keep spreading the word. Uh, as we know, movements like this, they need to keep the momentum because it's so hard to keep going and it could be easy for it to stop. And once it stops, um, nothing happens. So we need to keep the support. Even personally, I'm sure I can do so much more, but I try to be mindful of doing the least I can do, which is regularly post things, share things with others, spread the information as much as we can. And I really appreciated uh, Nazanin Noor for joining me Monday night. She's also been very vocal and active in, in spreading awareness. So appreciated her coming on to discuss that. Uh, so let's get to the books. Um, the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. It didn't start with you how inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle. And I'd seen this book several times and then my uh, wife's, my wife, that was great. My aunt's uh, husband, my Khaled's husband, uh, Azita's husband, Behruz, recommended this book to me. And so I got it. And, you know, I always have a, a set of books that I have ready to read. Um, and I picked different ones based on different factors. And this one I wanted to read uh, for the few weeks I had it, but also f inherited family trauma. What we're seeing with what's happening in Iran, 43 years of uh, this oppression, it's been passed down generation to generation. And I've also seen just the anger and rage and sadness from so many people being opened up because of what's happening there. But it's also fueling some of the action. So um, I thought in some way this is also relevant to that, the, the inherited family trauma. So looking forward to reading this. It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about today is A Molecule Away From Madness by Sarah Manning Peskin. A Molecule Away From Madness, Tales of the Hijacked Brain. And this was a really fascinating book. Um, Dr. Peskin is a clinical neurology professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And in this book, she goes through uh, a variety of what are seemingly small things that have big impact, things like uh, mutations in the DNA or um, some kind of pathogen or something that comes into the body that hurts us or something we don't have enough of, like a vitamin, which is essentially microscopic, but can have huge effects on us 
or how proteins, which are so important for life and just the way uh, any biological being survives, but how if they go a little bit wrong or haywire, it can have these huge impacts. And, you know, she wrote in a very, I found interesting way because there's a lot of history and mystery. So there's history of these different diseases, illnesses, and how they were discovered and the processes to get there and the different scientists that figured things out and how challenging it was at times, how often they were either ridiculed or ignored when they came up with their ideas and how they often got it wrong but really kept trying to get it right. So that was quite fascinating. Uh, The mystery is also in seeing patients coming in and trying to understand what is causing this sudden shift in their personality or in their functioning and well-being, um, which is quite interesting. And also you feel a sense of compassion for everyone she talks about. Anyone who writes, especially as like a neurologist, psychiatrist, about patients and does it with some compassion, you often will hear comparisons to Oliver Sacks, who was really uh, wonderful in how he wrote about these mysterious ailments at times, but always continuing to humanize the patient, the individual who is going through it. And you feel that in this book as well, that the humanity of the individual is very much respected and how things are discussed and described. So I really enjoyed this book and highly recommend it to anyone. Um, It's also a reminder, this title, A Molecule Away from Madness and what you read in the book. I I think it's a kind of like a paradox in how resilient we are and how resilient life can be, but it also how fragile and delicate it, it is at the same time. So we see so many stories of resilience. A very famous one is Phineas Gage. A, a rod went through his eye socket and came out the other end, uh, but he still survived. And it's quite amazing. Now, he did have changes in his personality, but still we see so many ways that life survives or finds a way or the plasticity of the brain finds a way to uh, overcome some type of ailment or issue or illness or whatever it might be. So it's quite remarkable. While at the same time, this delicacy or how fragile life is or how fragile our health and sanity can be, when we see that just some small molecules, as she talks about in this book, from neurotransmitters to proteins to parts of the DNA that are just minuscule, microscopic, to vitamins that we don't get enough of, can lead to just catastrophic impacts on individuals or huge changes in their personalities. For example, not getting enough vitamins, we wouldn't think uh, if you don't get enough of a certain vitamin or don't get any, you might become a liar. She has a chapter called Honest Liars. So it's people that are uh, lying, uh, but they don't realize they are. They're confabulating, they're making things up because they, they don't know, they can't remember or create new memories. And so our brains are always creating a story somehow to make things make sense. And so they end up lying a lot, but they're not trying to. So I thought that was quite interesting and is a a reminder of how grateful we can be when we do have our health, when we do have our well-being or our sanity or personality and sense of self, how lucky we are because it is very fragile. And as as uh, you know, they say, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Often we forget that even just waking up and being able to use your senses and to remember who you are and to be able to communicate and all these things we tend to take for granted. We are quite lucky because sometimes with a a blink of an eye, they can go away. We can lose them. And so there's stories in the book of people who sometimes would see the deterioration over quite a period of time or in a short period of time even, but we do see it happen rapidly where all of a sudden they just change and become someone else. 
And, and so even that, becoming someone else, that's another aspect of a book like this that I find fascinating because it, it brings up these questions of who who am I, who are you, or who is a person? Because once they start changing, when, when do they lose who they are? So for example, if someone breaks their leg, everyone will still say, well, that's just that person. They don't think, oh, they're, they're, that's not them anymore. Uh, maybe, yeah, they're not as physically capable of getting around or doing some things, but it's still them. But if we see a, a shift in their personality, where all of a sudden they get angry all the time or much more than before, or um, you know they can't make memories and they don't recognize you, of course, with things like Alzheimer's and other things, uh, dementias, um, now we might think, okay, we're losing who they are. And so this makes us think about, well, what is it that makes us us or makes us uh, makes me me and makes you you? Where do we draw that line? If I'm depressed, is that not me because I'm, I'm depressed and I'm down? Or maybe that's part of my personality. Is it a matter of degree? But I think these are some interesting questions, uh, but it's something that always has made me feel that, of course, biased as a psychologist, looking at different ailments, I always feel like the mental ones can be even more painful at times, especially for loved ones to deal with, because you often lose or feel like you've lost the person. You, you talk to them. Uh, but it's like they're not there anymore or they're so different that you don't recognize them. So those are some interesting uh, questions to think about. And also reading a book, you see uh, Sarah Manning Peskin, you feel uh, quite a compassion for people and trying to help them. And all these stories of scientists, researchers, um, doctors, and different individuals working so hard to try to figure out what's hurting people, what's causing this pain, and trying to help them. And I always find that inspiring that you see many of these people. Yes, people care about uh, their name and notoriety and fame and things as well. But it's about the balance. Sometimes the motivation can be all about that. I want to get rich and famous and for people to know my name. Or it could be I genuinely want to help people. I have a curiosity to understand these things and to bring about an amelioration of the suffering of individuals. And so you see many of those stories any of these scientists, researchers, doctors, but also the people behind the scenes, the people when they recover and they need physical therapists or they need an occupational therapist to help them understand how to navigate their world after what they've gone through and the, and the wonderful work that they do. So a lot of these unsung heroes are under-recognized heroes as well. Uh, and that is always, for me, quite inspiring to see those people who are genuinely try to help others just for the good of it. Uh, but you hear stories of, for example, Dr. Alzheimer. Um, I think it's Alois Alzheimer and how uh, he met this woman who it seemed had Alzheimer's disease. At that point, it didn't have that name, of course, and trying to understand what caused it. And then it became named after him, really. And you see how sometimes it's, I don't want to say accidental, but it's an interesting path that a name sticks or becomes the name. He actually didn't call it that himself. Uh, another neurologist, I think, Dr. Kraplin, K.R. A-E-P-L-I-N, uh, in a book wrote about it and called it Alzheimer's disease, and within a few years that stuck. But they didn't know what was causing this until they were looking at the brain and seeing these plaques and tangles that it seems like were related to Alzheimer's, but maybe related to other dementias as well. And so she shares the stories of different individuals, many of them experiencing either some kind of degenerative disease or some ailment that doesn't get better and is quite sad. Uh, but at least maybe we recognize it better. But there's also stories of individuals going through certain things and we do know and can help them. 
For example, people who experience Korsakoff syndrome, which can often happen from drinking excessive alcohol, and they get a thiamine deficiency. And how now that we know that, we can give them lots of thiamine and they don't have the symptoms anymore. They will have a reduction in those symptoms because we understand what's causing the, the ailment. And other vitamin issues also learned that uh, the word vitamin came from the combination of the words vital and amine. So they were vital to life. And uh, Dr. Funk, who discovered them or came up with this term, he thought that they all belong to the amine group, but they don't. So it was vi vitamine with the E at the end, and then they dropped the E once they realized not all of them are from the amine uh, chemical structure or chemical group. So the, the book gives you, as I said, a lot of history and mystery, but understanding and to me a reminder of just how fragile and delicate things are. We never think it's going to happen to us until it does or to a loved one. You also see that because often when someone is experiencing, let's say, a dementia or some type of ailment, they are probably confused or disoriented, but to their family members who still can see what's going on, it can be so heartbreaking to see your husband, your wife, father, mother, son, whoever it is, no longer being the way they were. And it's quite heartbreaking. You know, reading these stories was um, very sad at times as well, but I thought... As I mentioned, they were expressed in a way that kept that compassion very clear that these are individuals. It could be you or me. And let's try to understand what they're going through. Um, even there are stories of individuals who were very much in favor of uh, looking at mental illness, which was often looked at as a moral deficiency. So they would think these are bad people, they're morally bad, or even they're evil, and blame them for what they're going through and recognizing, no, it's some kind of, just like any other illness, something is going on. And so the brain is something that we've understood much better, and you can see it throughout the book, the lack of understanding or limited understanding, but our understanding is still limited in that we have so much more to know. And so a lot of these illnesses, sadly, we don't have easy cures or even treatments that can do much, sadly. Um, but there are many scientists, as I said, and I'm inspired by those people who are working to try to improve people's quality of life and save lives um, with their hard work. I think that's remarkable. So I, I do recommend this book highly. I really enjoyed it. A Molecule Away from Madness, Tales of the Hijacked Brain by Sarah Manning Peskin. Let's go to a studio break, 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller now. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Um, my issue is something that has been cyclical. I think over the years, it comes and it goes. Uh, but basically, it has to do with sleeping patterns, um, where my body is completely tired from, whether it's exercising throughout the day, working throughout the day, uh, but my mind is very active, bouncing off the walls, and I can't sleep. Um, just two days ago, I wasn't able to go to sleep until 3.30 uh, in the morning. And, you know, I don't do caffeine at all. Um, you know, I shut my phone off before going to bed, and I just don't understand what it is um, that's happening and why it's happening because, you know, I don't take sleeping pills either. I don't do drugs. It's just natural it seems like and um, you know right now is a stressful time where I'm trying to find a job I just graduated from university 
Um, but there's a lot of challenges that I'm going through, like with having a record um, and, you know, having to go through that process. And I'm just hoping to get some help because it hasn't gotten better. Mm. Um, that last part you said, having a record, you mean like a, a legal record of some kind? Yeah. Okay. Getting in, gotten to some trouble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's kind of an unfortunate thing about, uh, so as, when we talk about the legal system in the United States, obviously people think of getting um, arrested or, uh, you know, that process, but it's also when you co or come out, whatever it is you go through, there are consequences you experience. Um, you know, sleep is obviously a vital part of our well-being, of our lives, and so we, when we don't get it, we're not okay. The, the tough part is sometimes when we're more stressed and going through a lot and we need it even more, uh, it evades us even more. It's harder to get. And now you said it's cyclical. And you said you just graduated college. I don't know if you can give me a bit of background. How old are you? And then when's the first time you kind of had about, if we want to call this insomnia, um, when was the first time that happened? Yeah, I'm 26. Mm -hmm. um, I would describe myself as um, you know very healthy um, in general. Um, so I'm surprised this is all happening. But it, it happened when, you know, the first time when I was uh, incarcerated, uh, where I'd wake up in the middle of the night um, paralyzed. Um, I, I couldn't move, but I was conscious, um, and you know I would scream for help, <laughs> hmm. but no one would hear me, um, and so it was kind of like this sleep state. Um, but every time, you know, that happens. Let me get this straight. Happened. I want to make sure I understood that part right. This was upon waking, or uh, still asleep? I think um, I was just in a sleep awake state, kind of half awake, half asleep couldn't move I was just paralyzed so yeah I mean have you read at all about sleep paralysis yes I have yeah um, it, I think yeah you know for me you know I don't want to bring too much religion into this but um, you know the, the way that I overcame that was um, by praying and um, by building a relationship with my higher power mm -hmm. but you know it continued in a different form where um, you know, that was the beginning. Now today, um, you know, for some reason, even though I don't have, like, that paralysis or, like, scary dreams, um, you know, I'm a, a very simple person, um, it it still happens. And when I wake up, you know, my body becomes very sensitive to the different um, elements or if it's a little bit cold, um, I start sneezing, my nose start running, um, and I'll be like sick but once I do get enough sleep it completely goes away mm -hmm. um, and I know there's just it's so broad it's, it's hard to really say like what's happening exactly but yeah um, you know I'm not I don't have my own place I kind of bounce around because I don't have a job yet and I, I think all of those factors just pile up and maybe I don't know how to stop working um, and how to say no to things but I don't know if that's the issue. Um, so it's it's something that I just want to talk about because sure. um, I keep a lot of things to myself. Yeah, well, and that itself can be something we want to consider, you know, carrying so much, uh, that stress, anxiety, that's going to affect so many things, including sleep. You're mentioning sleep paralysis, which I'm, I'm glad you're saying you don't have it anymore. It can be a really scary experience when people have sleep paralysis, essentially, um, when we sleep, our brain functions in a way so that we don't move, so we don't start acting out our dreams and things. So 
the, the kind of the motor movement part of our brain, there's like a switch off essentially. And what can happen is people wake up, but then they can't move their bodies and they feel stuck. And sometimes people even have, they think something's going on that's, you know, extra uh, sensory or extra, you know, so even alien and people sometimes think alien abduction stories that people have can be related to things like this because they experience something with their eyes open and things are happening. But nonetheless, I'm glad that's gone away, but you have other sleep challenges that, you, you know, continue to affect you. But a big reason why people have difficulty sleeping are issues like anxiety and depression, which I get the sense you are dealing with. What can be tough about sleeping issues also is that they can become, uh, you know, kind of there's a snowball effect because what people experience is if they're having a hard time falling asleep, what we need to fall asleep is to be relaxed, to, to let go a bit, to, to be able to do that. But when people start to experience difficulty sleeping, there can be this sensation of like, as they're going to sleep, if they don't fall asleep immediately, it's like, uh-oh, is this one of those nights? Am I going to be up again? And of course, that just makes it harder to fall asleep. And now it starts to cascade. I remember in graduate school having a period like that where I would often have these bouts of insomnia. And it was very much the sense of like, if I couldn't fall asleep for a little while, I would worry it was going to be one of those nights. And then lo and behold, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So sleep issues can be tough because of so many factors, including these ones I'm I'm bringing up. Uh, because if you're stressed about sleep, it makes it much harder to fall asleep, which then makes you more stressed. So I don't know, do you experience some of that where there's like this, like thinking, overthinking about falling asleep and that makes it even harder to fall asleep? 100%. That yeah. is exactly what I think is happening. It's an anxious time for me because I'm working on getting my records expunged and sealed and there's all these hoops I have to jump through. Um, and, you know, the only thing that has helped me to actually start falling asleep is when I memorize, um, you know, like um, religious scriptures. And mm -hmm. so I, I have, you know, chapters memorized, and that's the only thing that helps. But you can only recite so much, and then, sure. you know, it's back to, you know, the same over-processing, over-thinking. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's the only thing that brings me calm and helps me to actually, like, feel like I'm tired and ready to go to sleep. Yeah. Well, along those lines, um, I mean, what you're describing has a meditative quality to it, repeating scriptures or, you know, uh, something that you already know. It occupies you in a way, but focuses you. And then also it can help you potentially not get distracted and think about other things. So I would encourage meditation in general. It could be even on scriptures or repeating a phrase or word or something, or it could just be um, meditating in a variety of ways like focusing on breathing and, and you can look up different ways to do that you mentioned you know things like caffeine not having them or being aware of your phone away from your phone or aware of your phone use that's good and you maybe have looked up sleep hygiene it's a uh, basically concepts to look at different behaviors and things we can do things that might interfere with falling asleep but then also things we can do to help us fall asleep so i'd encourage you you likely have already looked at some of those, but to look more deeply, uh, a psychologist friend of mine, Dr. Scott Rauer, he does a lot of work on sleep, so you can look him up and see some of his uh, recommendations more on the practical side of things. But but I do think what you're sharing with me is that you, you have a lot of anxiety right now, 
And when we have more anxiety, these things are more likely to happen. And, and as we've been discussing, then once it starts, it can get, kind of take a life of its own. So I would encourage you, if you haven't already, have you ever gone to therapy yourself? I haven't. Okay. Um, I, I think part of the reason I don't want to go is because um, I have trust issues. Okay. Um, I don't even trust like the closest people, and I think that is an issue, but... Um, I think that's the reason why I have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I, well, I appreciate you, you. You know, let me ask you this. You had enough trust to give me a call. What do you think allowed that to happen? Well, actually, the reason why I'm on the phone with you now is just because my my mother almost... Uh, I'm sort of like a captive audience because she just <laughs> called and said, you're talking to him. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad I, I guess... Well, okay. Well, well. Nonetheless, um, yeah. That's uh, you know. I'm glad you're you're here. Whether it's not so so by your choice, I'm glad we're talking to each other. I'm sure that means she's worried about you. Now, I don't know if that also means there's other ways that uh, control can be a part of your dynamic with her. But nonetheless, you know, since we're speaking, we'll make the best of it now. But even still, to, for you to to make that call, even if it felt forced, took some level of trust and to open up a little bit. So we know you're capable of it. But we also know from what you're saying, you're a bit afraid of it. You know, having a trust, having trust issues is a, it's protective. But like many of these things we hold on to, it doesn't just protect us, protect us, but it prevents us from living some parts of life. And so it's like an overprotective parent. In this case, your overprotective parent might have asked you to call me for help, but often they don't let their kids experience things because they're afraid they get hurt. But then now they prevent them from you know, living life. So, uh, you know, that's something worth exploring. We don't have to get into all the depths of where the trust issues come from. What's tough is it's kind of like a catch-22 because if you create a good relationship with a therapist, it can help you deal with these trust issues, but it takes a certain level of trust to even start that. And so I'll encourage you to go to therapy. You know, I think sometimes people think therapy is like this scary thing, you know, from things we've seen in movies or just thinking about getting analyzed or just thinking of therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists in certain ways based on media and other things and realities that have happened in the past. But really what we're doing now is not that different from therapy. It definitely isn't therapy, but it's not that different either. It's essentially having a conversation with someone who is um, trained to, to listen well, to understand aspects of human behavior and emotions and illnesses, and that can then help you with what you're dealing with. But it's not that different from a conversation, but it's just a a type of special conversation, we can say. So I'd really encourage you to go because I think it does seem like you're carrying a lot on your shoulders. It's almost like there's a weight on your chest and now you're trying to sleep and it's just making it harder to sleep. And then that's going to affect everything, your mood, your functioning, your energy level, um, your even like emotion regulation and planning. Sleep affects essentially every part of our lives. So I highly encourage you to go. You deserve to talk to someone. There are good people out there that will want to help you. Um, And I hope you will take that step to move away from feeling like you have to do it all on your own to realizing there's people out there that will want to help you. And then this hopefully will extend to trusting in your life in general and, and things of that nature, which then by creating relationships, you'll feel better or deeper relationships and all of those things. So to me, that's a big step. Now, that being said, therapy will take time for it to have an effect, but still uh, a bigger picture thing that I hope you'll you'll seriously consider. Absolutely. I'll look into it. I, 
I can do a social media post and ask people uh, for recommendations and um, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, just ask people, ask, or if you have friends, you know, that could be good. Social media post people will send you and it's good, you know, it's much more common to post about mental health so you likely will get responses. But yeah, if you know anyone, friends, you know, often we don't know that our friends or family go to therapy because not everyone talks about it, but I'm sure you know people that do. So you can reach out to people, but but I I, I hope you'll do that. Now tell me, what, what would you say? I, mean, I know you're saying you want to reach out to people to ask about this, but how seriously do you think you would start therapy if you found someone? I have friends that I've lived with in the past and they would even during the time of the pandemic would sit down and talk with their therapist and say, mm-hmm. wow, I feel so much better. Yeah. And, and so I, I know those, those people and um, how strong minded they are, how healthy minded. And I, I kind of want that. And I think therapy, you know, meeting with a therapist um, was like the catalyst of the reason for that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm 100% open to it. Good. I'm very, very happy to hear that, and I hope you'll you'll take that step. And also, in the meantime, you know, um, like I was saying, look up some, you know the sleep hygiene types of things because that could be helpful. I, I'm I'm guessing based on you know when you deal with this stuff, people usually look up a lot of things. Plus, you're like up at night and can't sleep, and people start <laughs> googling uh, things. Usually, I don't know. Have you done that before? Where you like Google like how to fall asleep or things like that in the middle of the night? Yeah, I've yeah. I've looked into a lot of the, the military. Um, how they do it. Okay. Um, it hasn't worked for me though. It has. Yeah. You know, th- here's another one of those things where there definitely is a, isn't a one size fits all type of a thing. Some things, you know, people take a lavender bath and it can be great. It's probably going to be pretty good for everyone, but some people just won't like it. So there are things that people do that work for them and might not work for you. And a lot of times, especially when you look online, people want to stand out. So they say, this is like the cure for something, or this works for everyone or guaranteed to work. But usually it's not the case. But I would try different things. Really, people find things that help them. What can be very important, though, for any human being, really it's any animal, is routine. Because if you get your brain in the right mindset to, to fall asleep or if you're used to going to sleep in a certain way, you're more likely to get tired. Just the routine itself can help get you in that space. So uh, I think it'd be good to create a relaxing nighttime routine that works for you. Even the way I'm talking right now, I think sounds a little bit relaxing. So just play, play some of my old podcasts and fall asleep to my monotonous voice, (laughs) but just do anything that kind of creates a relaxing tone. Reading in bed can be good uh, for some people. Um, They do also say though, if you can't fall asleep for a while, people make different recommendations. Don't just stay in bed because that can make it worse. And you start to associate your bed with the place that you actually don't fall asleep. So they usually say if you haven't fallen asleep for, let's say, 30 minutes, you know, 40 minutes, 20 minutes, depending on who you ask, but to get out of bed and do something not that arousing, something relaxing, but just don't stay in your bed because then your bed does get associated with this place where I have a hard time falling asleep. So, um, you know, as I said, I'm sure you've looked up some things, but try what you can there. But I got the sense from the beginning of our conversation of this sense of someone who has to hold a lot in and is carrying a lot. Um, and maybe is afraid to ask for help or not just afraid. Maybe you think you should be able to handle it on your own or should be able to handle it on your own. Or let's say even religiously, there could be a sense that with God and myself, I should be able to. And of course, your beliefs are your beliefs. But I do feel that even uh, whatever it is you believe in, we still need things. Even it's like you can't just make your car go without putting gas in it and doing certain things or 
if it's electric charging it or you can't you know do a lot of things unless we utilize what's in this world even if you do believe that a creator created all of those things so i hope you will utilize what to me is a uh, another type of service or thing that can help you by getting therapy by getting help and realizing that uh, it'll help make you even stronger it's not going to be weak to ask for help and you deserve that help and, and and i hope it does actually benefit you in these ways thank you yeah it was nice to talk. i hope we fulfilled i don't know if you have to like if your mom's gonna like check something off the list like you, you you did what she asked you to do but i'm glad we got to talk whatever the the motivation was absolutely i am the baby of the family so i think she really um wants me to be safe and so i <laughs> this is a, a good thing for me um since i hold so much in um so yeah. thank you again well then i appreciate you taking that risk to talk to me and if it felt good just imagine doing that consistently with someone that you get to know and even a better environment for it it really can be helpful so i hope you'll do that and feel free to call me uh whether it's forced or unforced call me back anytime absolutely <laughs> all right take, take care again. all right let's go to a commercial break we'll be right back welcome back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to another caller Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Is that me? Yes, thanks for calling. Oh, hi there. Hi. Hi. Uh, basically, uh, I enjoy listening to you, and uh, sorry that I'm a little bit nervous. This is my first time calling. That's and, uh, all right. Just bear with me. Sure, uh, take your time. Okay. Well, I just want to ask you about this this uh, uh, thing called exorcism. Mm -hmm. What is it all about? Is okay. it really, uh, really uh, religious related, or is it uh, people who are crazy or whatnot? Because I've had episodes of uh, one or two times in the past that uh, uh, wake up early, in the, uh, wake up around three or four o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden I feel like somebody was on my chest, pushing my chest. I'm like, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to breathe. And there was another episode. My wife was telling me, "Honey, how come you are yelling?" I'm like, "I was yelling. I don't remember yelling hmm. at all." So, what is? Is it because mental anguish, mental? Uh, um, Possibly. Well, uh, guilt, or yeah, just, uh, depressions, or what does it have to do? And and is it related to exorcism? Or explain to me what's going on, please. Well, it might be more related to exercising than exorcism, but we can talk about that part, or even what exorcism might be, in my perspective on it. But what you described, it's interesting, related to the previous caller. Uh, you know, it does seem like you're experiencing something like sleep paralysis. So it can be really terrifying. You wake up. And you feel like it because sometimes people feel like a like a demon or an alien is controlling their body because they can't move. So your eyes are open, you're awake, but you can't move any of your body parts. And especially sometimes it could be accompanied by some kind of uh, hallucinations as you're waking, uh, hypnopompic, I think, hallucinations as they're called. And so you can feel like you may be seeing something, something's going on and you can't move. So people have this experience like there's someone in the room and I can't move. And that can be very terrifying. So um, what you're describing, it could be related to anxiety and some things. Some people just have uh, sleep disturbances of different kinds. So I don't know how regular yours are and how much they're bothering you, but you can very uh, much you know, see a neurologist or you can have a sleep study. If it is that regular, I would recommend no. that. Okay. If it's not no. that, I think it's okay. What I'm sensing from you is this... Um, you know, doesn't mean you're crazy, doesn't mean you're bad, doesn't mean you're know, extra, you know, those things where I feel like part of 
What can make it worse is if you judge yourself for what you're going through or think that it's reflecting something's really wrong with you. That might actually create more of a problem than what you're dealing with itself. So if you just accept, sometimes I have bad dreams or sometimes I have this experience of sleep paralysis, which is not pleasant, or my wife says I you know, yell or say something uh, in my sleep and I don't remember it. Those to me are not so concerning. Now your wife might not like it if it's waking her up. And again, if it's regular, so it's something you can look at. But if it's infrequent, some people have these experiences. Um, some people can sleepwalk and it can be dangerous. They wake up and do things or can walk around the house. So again, from what you're describing so far, it doesn't seem like you're dealing with any of that. Now, where I think the connection to exorcism comes into play is that, yeah, there there is this history of... Uh, you know, people getting invaded by these demons or evil spirits. And mm. then we need, uh, you know, sometimes a, some religious clergy figure to help get this demon out of the person. And, you know, everyone is entitled to their own beliefs and religious beliefs. My understanding of it is, is a, there's a few different things that I think are relevant. One is, as human beings, we are capable of the best that a human can do and the worst, every one of us. Um, what, what we're seeing in Iran is simultaneously some of the worst of what people and humanity can do to one another, and also some of the best with the courage, the bravery, uh, standing shoulder to shoulder, doing things for others, sacrificing yourself that the people of Iran are doing. And Correct. really, I think each of us are capable of doing good and bad. And so because of that, sometimes people have the sense that I have to get rid of the bad parts. Even it's a common thing. People come to therapy like, you know, I feel pretty good at it, but I just have to get rid of this part of me, this anxiety or, or this part of me. It's so bad. I have to just get rid of it. And usually what I tell a client is we're not going to get rid of something completely. Usually what we do is we realize how do you integrate it and make it part of your whole self. So some of what I think happens in this, you know, these things of exorcism or whatever it might be, is that there's a sense of we're trying to get rid of this bad part of me because I'm so bad or in someone else. And now, of course, when we have some religious uh, concepts that get mixed into it, sometimes there are things of, you know, people being suppressed in certain ways. We see women who experienced hysteria as a diagnosis where they would have these really intense experiences and it seemed like something was going on with them. They thought it was actually the reason why it's called hysteria is that they thought the, their womb, which was floating around in their body, creating this kind of like weird symptoms that they were experiencing. So uh, there's also these relationships with the, how we allow people to be themselves and express themselves that can then relate to people having intense types of experiences. But for me, the biggest takeaway is that there's a sense of we're trying to erase this evil part of us that we all have. And so we either have it ourselves and get afraid of it, or because we have it, we see it in others and think we have to get rid of it. Uh, rather than realizing as human beings, we have good and bad parts. We can also express good and bad parts. We can also... Um, make our good and bad parts stronger, meaning that the more we do good things and try to think good things and, and, and go to that side of things, that part gets stronger. It doesn't mean the bad part disappears and can never come out again or doing bad things, but we are more likely to respond in more positive ways. Just like if you keep using bad words and mean words, when you talk, those bad and mean words are more likely to come up. 
If you keep using good and loving words, those words come to you more easily over time. doesn't mean you don't know bad words or you can't say them. It just means which ones are more likely to come to you. So to me, the recognition is that this exorcism, almost like an ideal or desire, is that we want to remove negative rather than recognizing we have to live with the negative within all of us, but realize how do we find the good and make that good part shine even more brightly. Thank you. Okay. Tell me how you're feeling right now. Cause I felt, you know, just in coming on, there was a sense of anxiety of just talking and, and, and you know, maybe I helped you out by just talking the whole time, but um, I want to know how you're feeling right now about the things I've brought up, any thoughts you have and, you know, any questions I didn't quite address in, in what you were thinking about. No, no, you were basically uh, touching on the subject that I was, I was interested, uh, okay. meaning the good and bad. And where do, where do, the, where do the good and bad uh, initiate? Where do they come from? Do they come from me? Do they come from my society? Do they come from mom and dad? Where do they come from? I mean, well, uh, I've, I have tried to be a good person, yeah. a husband, good father, well, and I, I do my best to be to be a, a person, you know. But, but sometimes, like, the negativity... Over yeah. That's okay. Well, so here's the thing. I have some some good news and some bad news. The bad news, and I say this a lot of people, but the bad news is you think you might be a bad person. The good news is you're wrong. So you think you're like you're so afraid of being bad and hearing you talk about these things, but I think you're not allowing yourself to be human, which is you do have the good and the bad. And sometimes the bad will show up and that's okay, but it doesn't mean you're not a good person. Or even you asked me where it comes from and it's interesting you named a few things, but the first one you said is me. You said, does it come from me? As if it's like just something about you that's inherent. I mean, to me, like I said, I think it's just part of being human is we have the capability of good and bad. It doesn't mean you are bad because you can do bad things or have maybe done something bad before. It's just part of being human. We can be aggressive and violent and hurtful and say mean things, do mean things, hurt each other. And we can also do very loving things and kind things and sacrifice for other people. And I'm sure you've done some of both. And it doesn't mean that if the bad ever comes out, it means you're never good. Something I'm also sensing from the type of anxious... um, a personality that you even described yourself and being so nervous. I mean, many people would be nervous first time talking on the radio, but it also seems like there's a black and white or perfectionism to what you're talking about. So it could feel like if you ever do something bad, oh, I'm a bad person, or where did this badness come from? And I'm so, you know, negative in, the, in that way about yourself rather than, you know, it doesn't mean you can still acknowledge it, but it doesn't mean you have to be ashamed or feel like you're a bad person just because you maybe responded in some way. Not only that, in the sense I'm getting from you in trying to be good or maybe being afraid to be bad, we can so much try to control ourselves that it's more likely that we get angry or have negative things come out. Like there isn't this just relaxed way of experiencing things. There could be this pressure to not be bad or to do the right thing, which actually can make us get more angry and act out and so that more negative side might come out doesn't mean you're all of that but you might actually even make that part come out more by trying to make sure you never do anything bad so um i'm not throwing a lot out you but just some things for you to to think about that oh, you yeah. are not a bad person even if you've gotten angry before you're definitely not a bad person because you had these dreams or things that are totally out of your control um but there is this fear that i'm hearing from you of being bad i don't know if you if that resonates at all for you Kind of like, for instance, uh, I teach my, uh, I tell my children, 
don't have a road rage. If you see a, a imbecile driving in front of you and mm-hmm. cut you off or does, they don't use their uh, signal, don't do it. But when I when I get on the road and some people do that, I just go. Yeah. I try, I try to control myself, but nine out of ten, I control myself. Okay. That one percent, I just want to. <laughs> yeah, I feel I felt your anchor there too. Maybe on the way here, I might have done that. On the way to the studio, I probably got. Actually, it was pretty. It was a short drive, but I, I wouldn't say I'm immune to road rage. I get upset. Now, I wouldn't say road rage like I go and chase someone and do something, but I get angry when I'm driving. And actually, Parham, my brother, he's someone that I'm with a lot. And if I'm driving, he'll kind of notice like I'll sometimes get upset or you know something will happen. Now, maybe I'm outing myself now and I'm, I'm a bad person, but I don't think that I am, and I don't think that you are either. And I don't think just, you know, you're telling your kids that and then if you sometimes don't act in that way means you're bad. Even in the way you tell your kids, my opinion is, you know, not to present it some black and white way like you should never do it or why would you do it? You know, sometimes we give because we think it's not the right thing to do. We present things in a way that makes it like, how dare you ever do this or you should never do it. And then you even feel worse when you do it. You might share the principles of it of, you know, when you're driving, sometimes people will do things you don't like. And we might take it personally, even though it's not personal. So it could be good to realize, you know, people do things, things are going to happen. It's not in your control. So the less we get angry and the less we take it personally, we'll probably be better and we'll feel better, you know? So that to me is more realistic and reasonable. And also it means you could feel the same way that you want to try to be aware of it to not react in certain ways, but you still might sometimes. But this is what I mean by the perfectionism. You know, you said nine out of 10 times or 1% of the time, that's going to happen and that that's, can be okay. But the more you put the pressure to never do the wrong thing, to never be bad or whatever bad means, it's actually going to make it even harder to just do the good things you want to do. So that's something I would want you to, to, to look at in yourself because I feel it in a few ways is like such a pressure that, well, you know, sometimes we have, we have this mindset that, well, if I know better, I should always do better. And exactly. that's true, but it's, that's no, no one in history has ever lived their life like that. We know the right things and we won't always do the right things. And that's okay. We want to go towards them more. We know that uh, as much as we try to delay gratification as just a biological being, we're always going to be drawn to the short-term immediate things. So it's something, and we have to also balance it. It doesn't mean never do the thing that feels good in the moment, obviously. So it's about balance. It's about realizing we'll get, we're going to get it wrong, but that's okay. So what I'm hearing from you is not how do we get rid of the bad part. It's even more how do we not get rid of, but minimize the punishing part, the part that's so hard on yourself of ever getting it wrong because you're going to, and that's okay. Uh, even you can teach your kids something and then still not do it and realize, oh, there I am doing it. So maybe I also want to be aware of being sensitive to them when they make mistakes that, of course, no one gets it right, even if they know better, even if I think I taught them better, even if I they told me they know better, because they're they're human too. So that's something I'm sensing is having even more compassion for yourself. You're not evil or bad. You're just a human being and giving yourself that benefit of the doubt to get things wrong sometimes. May I ask you one more question? Sure. If you don't. Yeah. Okay, but you you touched on a uh, good word that I, I, I've been I've been thinking about personalizing. Mm-hmm. When somebody does something wrong, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm paying for what I did in the past. I feel uh, guilty. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. the guy driving in front of me without using a signal, I must have done something wrong yeah. in the past. Right. He's coming back to hunt me. I shouldn't have, I mean? yeah. I shouldn't have yelled at that person. Now this person is signaling. <laughs> yeah. This person's merging without signaling. Yeah. You know, so we can hear in that there, 
uh, this, um, you know, related to this whole theme of not forgiving yourself. So it's almost like right. you feel like this badness, you know, these bad things I've done, it's still chasing me. It's still right. this shadow that if I, you know, it's going to come over me. So, exactly. yeah, I think this is that acceptance, forgiving yourself, giving yourself the space to make mistakes because you're human in the past present and future every day we could have done things better at minimum let alone we probably made some mistakes so that's that's gonna be a big thing i think for you to look at being more compassionate towards yourself realizing that sometimes we think well if i'm hard on myself that means i'm going to keep doing better things but usually when we're hard on ourselves it pushes us away from good things and it pushes us towards trying to deny things because we don't even look at what's going on because we know we'll punish ourselves if we see we made a mistake so it's like if i said you took a test and you're like i don't want to see how i did because you're afraid if you got any of them wrong you're going to beat yourself up it's like no let's just look at the ones you got right and wrong and you can learn from it so uh that's a big thing i'm sensing from you that that compassion that forgiving yourself will be important then if you internalize it more and more, it'll extend to the people around you as well. And you'll be even more accepting and compassionate of others. But you can start with yourself. Even you can look at things like, um, uh, you know, kindness, meditation. You can look at things like self-acceptance and different books and things that have been related to that. But that's an area I'd encourage you to look into. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for calling. Have a wonderful day. Well, you too. Take care. All right, let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You know, the last caller, really appreciated him calling in. He said it was his first time. He was nervous. I, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope he did as well. Um, you know, it made me think, you know, in talking to him, I mentioned a few themes of forgiving ourselves, accepting that we have good and bad parts and accepting all of us. Um, but I could hear in the tone, it, I could make it seem simple or uh, there could seem a way that it comes off as, oh, it's so easy for me and I'm telling him to do it. But it's something I, I still deal with all the time in learning to accept myself, love myself more and to forgive myself for things I've done or things I haven't done. Um, it, it's, a, it's a process. And so I share that just because I think sometimes when someone is speaking to someone, when you're the, the helper in the moment, it could come off like whatever you're dealing with is easy for you or dealing with for them is easy for you to deal with. But that isn't the case. These are these are challenging things. Another thing that came up was um, the good and bad that we are all capable of. And I did talk about the situation in Iran. And so, uh, you know, it's such a unique time we're going through right now uh, where so much of our hearts and our minds are with the people of Iran trying to do what we can um, to help them in whatever ways we can but in other ways life goes on in the sense that we still have things we have to take care of and, and attend to even I'm looking at the book in front of me when I was going to post the book of the week as I do every week there was this feeling of ooh, like even it can seem like tone deaf to be like oh here's just the book of the week like everything's okay when um, this is what's going on. Uh, but I did mention also, and I wanted to touch on this, is like we all are capable of good and bad. And what we're seeing in Iran, I think, is such a stark contrast of that, that we see the bad that the government has been doing to people for so long and continues to do. Um, suppression, trying to take away people's freedoms and rights 
and even killing and hurting people in so many ways, uh, all for some selfish benefit. And then we see the good of the people who are fighting for values like freedom, for rights, for women's rights, for emancipation, for uh, a sense of peace and well-being, not just for themselves, but for other people as well, oftentimes even literally sacrificing their lives to help other people, or at least many of them knowing they're risking their lives, not knowing what will happen. Some of them sadly have lost their lives. Last time I saw something like 150 or 160 uh, people have been killed during these protests and the things that have been going on in Iran by the government. And so we're seeing the best and the worst that humanity has to offer on full display. Um, and really, to, I don't even know, I, the word inspired seems small compared to how I feel when I watch the people in the streets. Inspired, um, humbled when you see what they're doing and try to think, I don't know if I would have a thousandth of that level of bravery or courage. Um, the, the beauty and their, their unity when you hear them chanting and being together of the women leading the way, but men standing shoulder to shoulder with them uh, as it is a fight for, for women, but a fight for everyone as well. And when anyone's rights are not there, we are all uh, should be upset about it. So it's been quite remarkable and amazing to see that. And so when we think about what, when I say this good and the bad, what does that mean? Sometimes we just feel it, of course, what feels good and bad and what, what actions feel good and bad. But that could be affected by so many things. And, and morality is always going to be this complex topic of um, being affected by so many different factors. But one of the things I've noticed when we think of someone doing something good versus not good, one factor or one level uh, or dimension is how much it serves me versus serving other people. And so, of course, I have to take care of myself and make sure I'm okay. We all have that responsibility to ourselves and really to others. Um, but when we look at what people are doing, we can see a different level of how much is it selfish towards me or just my own needs and how much is it for other people. This is why, for example, if someone says, oh, you know, she's a wonderful person, he's a wonderful person, they'll give you the shirt off of their back. There's this sense that they're sacrificing themselves, giving the shirt off of their own back, which means it's keeping them warm or clothed and giving it to someone else. There's that level of sacrifice that makes us feel like, wow, that's so wonderful. And on the other end of that spectrum is people that are greedy, right? You have, they're wealthy, they have money, for example, but they're still doing things that might take money from poorer people so they have more. And we would just very easily look at that and that's horrible. That is the bad side of humanity. Yes, we want, yes, it's, we feel good having power, we feel good having more security, uh, and feel like we're winning in some way, but then when we do it at the cost of other people, when we're already okay, we, we think of that as a bad side of humanity. So I often think of this as a dimension to be aware of when we're taking action, is how much is it serving others and how much is it serving myself and that tends to give us a bitter, pretty good sense of how good something is. So even when I was talking about the book today, I was mentioning I'm always inspired by um, scientists, doctors, researchers who are trying to come up with treatments, try to understand illnesses, and then come up with treatments and cures to help other people. And yes, it's their profession. They might get paid, or they probably do get paid. They can get notoriety if 
they, for example, discover something and might make more money. But you do know that there's many of them or that a big part of their motivation and inspiration is to help others. And so when I see the people of Iran fighting for their freedom, but of course it's not just individually, each one's fighting just for themselves, they're fighting for one another. And we see how much more they do when it's together. Um, they do even have that that chant that don't be afraid we're together basically this sense that we don't need to be afraid because we're together that unity that's one of the ones that always makes me uh, get emotional when I hear them chanting that because of course you're saying don't be afraid because there is something they can be afraid of they are putting their physical uh, safety and their lives at risk when they do what they do um, but the human spirit and that human unity and togetherness can really inspire us to go above and beyond what we can do alone. Uh, there's the proverb, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so we see that, that unity. And when we see that unity, I hope we are inspired to do our part, as I was talking about before. Again, they're sacrificing so much. Those of us like myself outside of the United States or outside of Iran, I mean, we can do so much more. I've gotten many messages, um, just me doing the very, very least of putting some posts up about what's going on in support of the people of Iran. So many messages from Iran saying, thank you so much. Thank you for being our voice. Thank you for your support. And it, it almost makes me want to cry, not because I'm thinking, oh, I'm doing something so good, but it breaks my heart how grateful they are and how much more we wish we could be doing for them. Often we can do, what we can do is limited, but seeing that gratitude and reminder of how much they need that support, how unfair the situation is where they can't communicate to us outside. Of course, it also makes it harder for them to communicate within themselves there to coordinate things. So it has multiple impacts that the government is of course trying to do, limit communication within the country so that people can't coordinate as well, but of course to try to create a darkness so that we don't see the atrocities and the horrible things they do, that they don't come out to the international community. So there's many reasons for that, but we have to make sure we continue to be that voice for them. Social media is a, you know, something that we all probably love and hate in some ways that it's fun, we enjoy it, but we also see the dark side or that it actually brings out often a more shallow side of humanity. What looks good, what looks good in 10 seconds, what looks good with a filter, those things get our attention, get our likes, our shares, all those kinds of things. Um, but it still is part of the world we live in. There's an attention economy and there is a huge focus on things like social media. Many people, or if we look at the hours of time people spend looking at social media, it's huge. So that is part of the reality that if we want to cre create uh, some impact, we have to use those types of resources. Just like if you're a researcher trying to study cancer or one of these illnesses I talked about in the book, you need money. You might say, well, I don't have to ask for money or to you know, look for funding, but you're not going to get to do your research if you don't get funding and get money. That's just the reality. So we have to appeal to people. Even I know sometimes I've seen people write things uh, you know, I can't believe I'm part of a movement that's getting support from so-and-so celebrity, whether it's good or bad, or they don't want to even associate with them, whatever it might be, but we want to get whatever help we can get. So I hope people will continue. And so uh, if we want to show the best of our humanity, it could be to support our brothers and sisters in Iran. Of course, mostly it's for them, but I know so many people 
just the thought of possibly going back to a different type of Iran, they, they can't even contain their excitement and their emotion of imagining being there and things are not like they have been these last 43 years, but back to something they remember or for some of them never experiencing it, but knowing that it can be something so much better. So I, I know I could be sounding like a broken record on Monday's show and already today talking about this, but just can't stress enough how important it is for us not to lose the momentum, not to stop sharing, posting. I just try to like anything I see that's related to this issue because it's another one of those things where it's like, well, it shouldn't be that way. But if you see something has 100,000 likes, people are going to pay more attention to it than if it has 100 likes. So we have to keep doing our part. And my heartfelt appreciation to the people of Iran who are showing us the best of humanity and the best we can be inspiring all of us to be better and to do better and wishing the best for them and we have to continue giving them our love our support not just by saying thoughts and prayers but by actually taking action so let's continue to do our part let's go to a commercial break studio number 3104410555 we'll be right back Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. I love you so much. I enjoy your show all the time. I'm listening and I'm enjoying it so much. Thank you very much for your show. And it was very, very, very nice seeing you at the Federal Building. Thank you for your support. I hope all your listeners... Please, I'm going to ask them, please. I, you said that whatever you have to say, it was so nice before uh, 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 you, you said uh, anything uh, you have to say and uh, ask our uh, dear uh, friends to join us at the demonstration and whatever we can, whatever we can, as you said. Yeah. I really was happy to see you over there and your support, and um, I hope everybody else can... Um, do the same thing with what uh, all Iranians do and uh, our friends do. Thank you. Well, yes, it was nice seeing you. Um, I, I won't. I, I, well, I, I don't mind saying your name. I just don't want to say it for you. But you're, I, I've known you for, uh, gosh, I think since I was a young child, so probably like thirty years. Um, but it was very 40, nice. Forty years. Forty. 40 years. Well, I'm, I'm forty, so ba- barely, <laughs> ba- maybe yeah, probably yeah, around I was born. Yeah. I remember when you were born. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've known you a long time, and I, I didn't know you'd be calling in. But yes, Aram, it was very nice Aram, seeing you. Aram is exactly age with my daughter. That's right. Yes, Ramak. Yeah. And they're very really good friends. That's uh, right. Bro. Yeah. No, I appreciate you calling, and and you were there. Uh, uh, you know, I think that when I saw you was last Monday, or I don't know if it was Monday, or maybe it was Wednesday. Either way, um, I, I agree with you. I was talking about posting. Actually, I mentioned a little bit about this before, but there are so many of these uh, protests and events that our people are having. So when we talk about the things that we can do, which are so limited compared to what the people in Iran are doing, but to show our support, you know, with these kinds of things, I think sometimes people will say, well, what difference to make if I go to the protest, I'm one person or we're two people. People are either there or they're not there. Um, and unfortunately, we sometimes think this way kind of to give ourselves the easy way out. But just showing up makes a difference because if you think that way and other people do, no one shows up. But if we all show up, think of the impact it has when 10,000 people show up or 100,000 people show up to something. That is something that people can't ignore. And actually, I think October 1st, this Saturday, they're calling it like a day, a call of action 
or call to action. And so I think all over the world, uh, people are planning to have protests on, on that day. And I think in Los Angeles, it'll be taking place at 11 a.m., probably in downtown. I think the details have not been set. But wherever you are in the world, there probably is something happening close to you that'll be on that date. And if there isn't something happening around you, I hope you'll plan something because this is one of the ways we can make sure the people in Iran, their voices are heard is by being their voice. And so we have to plan events, demonstrations, but also just show up, just walk there, be there for an hour, just show up and and do that part because it makes a difference when people see how many people care about what's going on. So I appreciate you calling yeah. in and your support and what you're doing. And I think uh, this is uh, everybody's responsibility. We shouldn't wait yeah. for the group or some people mm-hmm. organize it. Whatever they can do, I think yeah. we should do it. We Absolutely. Do it rather than sister. I mean, look at what they're doing with so little ability to organize and do anything. You know, they're just going and taking action. And so you're right. We have to take motivation from that and inspiration a bit. We have to just do something. Just make sure doing nothing is not an option. So making sure we do something. Uh, I appreciate you calling in, but also, like I said, your support. I know you're always very active in, in supporting thank, people. Thank you very, very much. Hi, John. Love you so much. Love you too. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, well, thank you. That was very kind. You know, as I we mentioned, we saw each other there at the um, at the, uh, the, um, the federal building here in Los Angeles, and, and seeing people there, and you you walk around. I was always so touched. And I saw, especially young girls. There was like a four year old girl, and remembering, thinking about if that same girl was in Iran and what how different her experience likely would be. And so for me in that moment, seeing her, I remember getting tears in my eyes thinking, gosh, this is, this is why we're here. It's of course for all the people, but especially for the young women and the girls to have a different future and to actually have a future where they have choices and rights to do uh, what they want and, and as they please. Um, you know, looking at what's going on there, it's also very heartbreaking. Almost everyone I talk to, there's just a heaviness of course, we're not the ones that have to experience it firsthand there. But it's affecting us emotionally, and I think that's understandable. And I'm very much a person of, of balance. I always think that most things are not going to be black or white. It's about balance. So sometimes people think, well, should we even look at the news of what's going on? Um, or some people might go to the other extreme and want to see everything. I do think we have to be aware of staying very, very informed. So it is important to read about things, see the videos, watch things, hear people talking about uh, the issues. But we have to be aware of taking care of ourselves long enough to to keep going. Um, Also, someone mentioned this to me, uh, especially for the people in Iran, that they had heard some stories of, you know, people are out there protesting for hours and they get hungry and they get thirsty. You know, sometimes we get so um, obviously overwhelmed with the emotion of taking action, which makes sense. Uh, that we just go out, but we might forget to take care of our our physical needs, our bodily needs. So I've also heard wonderful stories of people just giving food to protesters they see there, you know, people going into people's homes they don't know and and being fed and taken care of, which is beautiful. And so um, as I briefly talked about with the caller, we, you know, there isn't this sense of a structure into what's going on. So, so much of it is happening moment to moment. But there's so many things to, to consider and to, to take care of. So I hope that people, I, I've seen just stories of people taking care of one another 
um, in Iran, which is so beautiful. Again, going back to this mindset that the best of us is when we take care of one another, when we sacrifice a bit or recognize that we can help someone else and to take those actions, that's when we almost always will feel good about what we do. Rarely has someone said, I feel bad that I helped these people or that I did something good for someone else. But often we forget to do those things or it's so much easier to think about ourselves that we can forget forget others and what we can do there. But coming back to this uh, Saturday, I, I don't know if it's official. I've seen it in San Francisco. I think there's something. I've seen in other countries things are going on, but that there is um, uh, something going on here in Los Angeles. And I know for a lot of people that, you know, going to protests and what difference does it make? You know, something I hear people say a lot with social issues like, oh, yeah, well, you went to the protest and it fixed racism forever or fixed sexism forever, kind of in this, you know, disparaging, sarcastic way to say that um, what you're doing really doesn't have that much of an impact or didn't fix it. So to begin with, any huge issue is not going to get fixed by one action or one Uh, you know, one day of action even, or one step. That doesn't make sense. If we understand any big social issue, when you understand how complex and big it is, of course, it's not going to get solved by one step. And so even having that mindset is pretty stupid to look at something and say, well, if this doesn't solve racism by what we do today, we shouldn't even do it. What we really have to think about is that almost any big change is a series of hundreds, thousands, even more steps that so many people take, not often steps that are easy to trace in a straight line, because usually movements and things don't go in that way, but they're constant steps and many people making those steps. So don't think that me going to the protest, is it going to make or break what's happening? No, it won't. It's not going to change everything. Um, But it can have some impact. And if we consider if each of us thinks of our responsibility and thinks, well, my one part of the responsibility won't make it, so I shouldn't do it. If we all have that mindset, nothing gets done. Uh, I know this is, seems maybe more important than elections, but the same thing happens in elections all the time. People just think, well, why should I vote? My vote doesn't make a difference. Uh, and by make a difference, they mean it's not like I'm selecting the person when I participate in the election. But that to me is kind of laughable because it basically means I'm only going to vote if I'm like the king or queen of the world where I pick people and who wins. Well, yeah, and of course, that's never, it never should be the case that one person's vote gets to pick who wins an election. But the hope would be when we think of democracy is that everyone's voice gets heard. Every single one of us says what we want. And through that, we get an idea of what the people want. You know, imagine if literally every person in the United States voted, we would know 40% of Americans support this, 30% of Americans are against this. Whatever it might be, we'll have a really clear understanding of where people stand. But similarly, with these types of things like protesting, taking action, We can't think of the smallness of our individual impact. We have to think of the largeness and the vastness of everyone coming together. And that everyone coming together means that we each have to do our part. We each have to do something. And not just think about if what I do makes such a huge difference, but turn it back toward yourself of what's my responsibility. Because all we can do in life is all that we can do. I know that sounds almost uh, obvious, but I mean that at the sense of whatever it is that you can do, our responsibility is to do that to the maximum. So 
if you see someone and you want to do something nice for them, but you see I only have, let's say it's $2 to feed them, the most you can do is give them that $2. You can't say I could have done more, but that's the most you can do. And so rather than focusing on, well, almost like the reward of is what I'm doing going to make a change or is what I'm doing going to be something tangible, always look at your responsibility in the situation. So it's not about me going to the protest, is that going to change everything? No. But me thinking, what's my responsibility and what would be filling that responsibility more? Sitting at home and not going to the protest or getting up and making sure I show up? And I think the choice is pretty clear that if you are trying to meet your responsibility to the fullest, your duty and what you can do, we have to take those actions. So don't focus so much on the result. It's actually something we do kind of like a defense because we, going back to something with the previous caller, we'd like to do the short-term things or the things that feel good immediately. We're always going to be drawn to that. What feels good now is more likely to be the thing you do because it's just easier to always do the thing that feels good now or remove some kind of uh, discomfort in the moment or pain or whatever it might be. That's always going to be the case. So we use these types of excuses to avoid being uncomfortable or avoiding taking action. Oh, okay, so I show up to the protest. What's going to happen? Does it make a difference? And that's in some ways has some logic to it. But if we turn it to what's my responsibility, then it's a very different conversation. Was I meeting my responsibility and duty by sitting at home? No. Was I meeting my responsibility by not talking about this issue? No. Does it mean if I talk about this issue, it changes everything? No, it doesn't. But if I look at the goal to be meeting my duty and responsibility, then I recognize I have to focus on that. And so I hope each of us, myself included, think about that every day. Am I doing what I am capable of? Am I meeting my responsibility to the fullest? In this book that is possibly the book of this new revolution, am I writing the words that I can contribute to that chapter? Even the letters, if it's the letters, whatever it is, that small part, am I making my contribution? And in this sense, we can rewrite history based on our contribution. So that chapter can look very different based on what we do, and especially based on what we don't do, that it might be left half written or unwritten because we won't get to that result. And I hope we also, as I was saying, balance, but keeping our brothers and sisters in mind by watching the videos of them to being reminded of what they're going through, the sacrifices that they're doing. You know, we think about protesting to a peaceful protest where we know we're going to be safe compared to them going in the streets where their lives are literally at risk, seeing the pain they're going through to motivate us to take action. You know, emotions, we think of them sometimes as good or bad things, but one of the main things they do is they fuel what we do. They give us reasons to do things. You feel angry, you go do something about it. So when we see our loved ones going through pain, suffering, taking action, it motivates us to act. So for that reason, I think it's important to keep watching these things. Be aware of what you watch, how much you watch. Of course, be aware of things like what your children watch because seeing violence and things that they can't understand can be harmful to them. But as adults, we want to make sure we keep ourselves aware of what's happening, that we don't get comfortable with just saying, okay, well, it is the way it is. Nothing's going to happen. That we continue to take those types of actions. And please do what you can. I hope if you're in LA, I see you Saturday morning. 
The details have not yet been determined as, as far as I checked last, uh, but I hope I see you there or see you wherever you are. Post about it, share it. Sometimes we don't want to post in a way of thinking we're, we're you know, boasting or bragging, but this is something about sharing the word with other people. So they need to know that you were there and why you were there and what it's all about. All right, let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, thanks for uh, calling. Hi, Dr. Halakui. Thank you for your program, and also thank you for allowing us to call in and share our opinion. My, my uh, pleasure. Thanks listening. for calling. Uh, what I want to talk about is a, is a, a, a demonstration that around the, uh, the death of the mass Armenia and the women's rights in Iran. I'd, if I want to go to the point, uh, I am against, uh, in totality, against uh, death penalty for mm-hmm. any, any form or shape of the death penalty anywhere in the world. And unfortunately, in this demonstration, uh, there, there is a two very wrong elements. One is all the chants are in Farsi, and we know what's going on in Iran. And we go to the public places to voice our dissatisfaction and disagreement with, with our government, to the American people. But unfortunately, none of these chants are, 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 in, are in English. I was in the uh, rally last week in Irvine, and couple of people, uh, local people, uh, American people came and asked me, what is what is this going on? What is that you guys are saying? Mm-hmm. So that is the one issue, that we are not connecting with American people, and we are not delivering our message to them and trying to help our uh, people and our women in Iran. The second thing, I don't understand if uh, when we say the debt to the regime, and I don't want to mention those slogans because mm-hmm. I uh, disagree with it. But uh, debt to this person, debt to President XYZ, debt to the morality police. So what are we saying? Are we saying that we want to go and do the same thing that these people are doing to our people? We're going to do to them and anybody stand on us, uh, stand up to us? Are we going to kill people? Are we going to do like Islamic regime at the beginning, execute many of the high-ranking uh military officers and uh, secretary of state and then two years later they come and slaughter all the leftists mujahidin of mm-hmm. and, and everybody were fighting so are we going to replace them with the same idea that we go and kill anybody who is against us are we going to kill every one of these mullah i am totally against it yeah we have to speak about the rights of the woman we have to use this opportunity to push the government to remove the, the mandatory job. We have to push this government. I mean, people think we're going to overthrow the government in this demonstration. And some people don't want to attend. So what is that? They're going to beat everybody up in Iran and everything going to, everybody's going to go back home. Yes, that is true. But we got to continue that. And we got to go step by step to fight what we believe. And if one day we are ready and we have a leadership, at that time, we can talk about the overthrow of the government, not today. Who is going to take over? Mujahideen? Well, Who look. Who is going to take over? Yeah. I mean, These things are I complex. Mean, They're very, very complicated. I, I don't think anyone has all the answers because these things are so 
have so many parts to them, so many things. Maybe let's address the first one because it was, you know, probably a little more simple than this one, which I think is important to to get into as well. I, I think you're right. So there's obviously a sense of unity when we say the same chance as the people in Iran. So I think there should be, you know, to me, some of that makes sense. But of course, you want to make sure whatever messaging you're having. Uh, gets to the ears that are hearing it. So if you're outside of Iran, in whatever language you are, you know, of your country that you're in, it could be important to make sure some of the messaging is in that language also. I think there's, again, you know, saying I think that's okay, even if you're outside of Iran, to show that solidarity. They might even see those videos and they see we're, we're with them. It does, get, does give them a sense of support as well. So I think there can be space for both, but I think you have a point about making sure the messages get to the people so they hear what we're saying because if they don't know they won't listen and they won't they won't be informed the second part um, you bring up a few different things one is the chants themselves like what we say and what's you know underneath them or what type of messages they give but then also um, what are what's the plan of, of taking action if that's related to the violence that's in these chants so I mean some thoughts I have on that is to begin with, chants are, of course, very simplified kinds of phrasing or things. You know, you can't give a full, complete thought in a chant. It has to be something catchy and quick and usually leaves out a lot of details. So, um, you know, even, you know, you're saying the death to the magba, whoever, fill in the blank. There's a lot of those which are fortunately or unfortunately part of even my limited understanding, but some of the chants that Iranians have always had. I've heard different ones. Again, you, you can fill in the blank with different groups, but it's something that people say. You say death to, and we say it other places as well, but uh, Iran says it a lot I, from what I've seen, death to whatever the group or individual is that you are against. And do I say that's right? Not necessarily, but I think it's going to happen that those chants will be said. I, even when I went to the, the you know, the, the demonstrations, those chants felt less comfortable to me when they said Mahsa Amini or they said Zan Zendegi Azadi. I felt like the group, the crowd even was more comfortable saying that because that, that maybe resonated with them more, uh, more the positive side of things rather than who they were against. However, I also can understand there is tremendous anger and rage against these people doesn't mean we do anything with that rage and it's okay, but it's probably something we should expect that there's going to be a lot of um, things that people say that will express that rage and that anger that they have. Now, does that mean it's going to lead to some action or affects that action? Maybe. But I also think these things are so dynamic that we can't control every element of it or think that we're going to be happy with all the parts of how the movement comes about or that once it's already started that we have to wait and then it's going to be a better time later. I don't know what the ideal path is going to be, but I also think that these things do take a life of their own, that parts of it we like, parts of it we don't like. What I do think is really important though is that even if we don't like some aspects of it, that the unity is going to be so important that we probably have to support it or I think the best thing we can do is still support it, even if some aspects of it we don't agree with. If we think the ultimate goal of, let's say, I still think overthrowing the government is the right goal. Now, is that feasible very soon or not? I don't know. I think it's possible, but I don't know the exact possibility of it. Uh, but I think we all have the main idea that this has to change. Now, 
is it possible that this government would change the laws to to meet what the people want? It's possible too. I see that as less likely, but again, I think these things are hard to know what's going to happen. I don't see them shifting everything away from the ideals. That's basically what they were. The foundation was some of these laws. Is it possible they completely change, let's say, the hijab law, which itself is very important but symbolic of women's rights in general it's not just okay if they say you can wear whatever you want but everything else stays the same we still have huge problems that people won't be happy about um but i did speak a bit about some thoughts i wanted to hear from you uh, as we continue the discussion right i mean what i'm saying is that uh, if i just want to talk about the chance uh you know, the, the, the woman's right uh, in Iran has been abolished since this government has taken place mm-hmm. in 1979. We mm-hmm. all know that. But if we can't, uh, the, 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 the freedom of right for the woman, right, uh, right of the woman to divorce, right of the woman to have a guardianship of their children when they divorce. Mm-hmm. I think that we, we, we tell what we want and uh, and maybe perhaps we get some of it or we work towards some of it. When we call in the, I mean, my, my issue with the, with, the, with the chant that has a death, I used to believe that during the Iranian revolution and that to this, that to this, that to everything. Everything we were disagree, we put a death to it. But I have got to the point after 43 years, what is the difference between me chanting that and the savages that you want to kill the people? In France, if you are demonstrating in the street or rally in the street, you are not allowed to give this kind of chance. It's forbidden. It is illegal. And what is it? What makes us a difference from these people that are killing people in the street? If you if we could be using this chant, aren't we the same? Well, I, I mean, do you want to go and kill people? Well, is that, is that the thing? Okay. If but, ho- but hold on. There is some there is some difference that if they are killing people and you say, I want to kill the person that's killing people, that's not the same thing as the person that goes out and kills people. They aren't the same thing. That is true. That is, so that, is true. that part is, I do, I agree with you. And like I said, when I was there, some of those phrasings for me, and I'm not, it's also the farce, lots of parts of it make it maybe different for me. But I do think, I get your sentiment that we don't want to just have the kill anyone who disagrees with us mindset, which sometimes people have. And like you're saying, the chance can go that way. As I said, chants are simplified, right? You can't, you said some really good things about abolishing uh, that, that women don't have right for divorce. You can maybe put that in a chant, but it gets pretty hard because of the wordiness and, you know, chants have to be pretty short. Um, but women's rights, that's why I, I do like Zan Zendigi Azadi. I think that's a, that to me, that's a very, uh, it, it hits a lot of the issues. That chant came from Kurdistan. Right, I've heard, I forgot the yeah. Kurdish version of it, but do you know the... the... It's a Zan Jian, Jian is the second Zendigi, it's the one wordish Hamun, hmm. uh, is the same. And, yeah. and that is a very progressive uh, chant. Yeah. What I'm saying is, after 43 years, we should have made some progress as Iranian, the way we think as our society and resolving the conflict. I have no problem having a revolution and overthrow this government. But I am not for executing any one of them, regardless of what they have done. That execution is a savagery, and the savages would do that. What is it? Is it a murder? Sure, and that—that that that to me is. That, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Once things have, you know, you know, again, when things are 
when people are in the streets and someone is about to hurt someone and you protect them by hurting that other person that, that's about to you know kill them that's one thing but yes after the fact if things have been settled and now you know let's say power has changed i don't think you know the killing of everyone is going to be even good or you know is the right way i don't agree with death penalty either so i'm, I'm with you on that um and it could feel like when people say you know mad about this person or that person or even some of the chants go into more detail about hoping this specific person dies or you know you know that happens i i can get you know it has a certain feeling i can understand the rage and the anger that people have and i don't even know if actually if it ended up happening they would take that person's life but it is a way of expressing you know just like when people uh you know people get in a fight and they say i'm gonna kill you and like they really don't mean they would kill that person they're just saying i'm so mad at you and i'm so you know whatever doesn't mean what they're saying is right but i think some of when people say these chants we can't sometimes take it as a literal this is exactly what they're going to do or their platform is to murder all of those people you know i've been to lots of protests here in the united states where people say certain things that most of the people don't agree on literally doing that but it's a way of saying for example we hate these people or these people have done a lot of harm so we're saying this thing so uh, i think i understand your concern is that what if we this revolution if it happens has these elements in it that will be savage and horrible it's possible when we have a revolution it's not like we can plan everything and make it fit exactly like we want you know if anything the the 1979 revolution showed us some of this as well um but i think for me i hope we can if we see that there is an end goal that we align with yes the details of it some even significant we might not agree or know but i would hope that we can all make sure we stay behind it because sometimes what can happen is if we say i don't like this part of what you're saying or that part of what you're saying it starts to drown out the voices or we start fighting amongst ourselves and we lose that power of the unity that we have so i think you bring up some valid points that i think are important to consider but i also hope we can stay together in the sense that if we think this government is as unjust as we most of us think it is we want to unify with the forces that are against it as much as possible i don't think the people of iran would create a savage type of government of course it depends on who comes to power but i don't think the people even as angry as they are they aren't angry because they're just angry they're angry of the injustice and if the injustice is resolved people tend to respond differently when the people who are in power lose that power and the people get it they tend not just to want to tear them to pieces right now they do because they're still trying to get the power from them but i don't think these things are of course so difficult to predict but that that means that this rage would turn into just some type of savagery i still think we're seeing the best of humanity in the people we're seeing in the streets there in iran protesting of course within any group there's going to be lots of different people and lots of different intentions but overall i think that sense is there i just hope we can stay unified because if we don't our voices will start to drown out and we'll fight amongst ourselves and and nothing will happen right i'm i'm, I'm absolutely agree with you and i'm in the support of every single action that people need on taking the street yes yeah. To struggle against the the, the 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 violence of the government, um, even if there is a fight in the street, and the people's, uh, I would say, this killed the, the government uh, the, the police that attacking them mm -hmm. and and trying to hurt them, and somebody gets killed. That I am not 
I'm not a Gandhi that they say I'm against any <laughs> debt, but I'm saying that the pre-formatted things to go with that mentality, it is that is the one I, I thought of, I can yeah. share my opinion. I appreciate the other it. Thing is, we as the Iranian, we know Iranian and Italian. We know lots of words, and we are very good on chanting. And 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 I and I probably in Iran they they, they are the nice better 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 chants that that reflects the uh, the situation and the reality rather than mm-hmm. just saying a few things that doesn't have any meaningful. I support every single day of the, the, the struggle of Iranian people against the Islamic Republic of Iran. And this government has to go. I don't think it's going to go with the election. It is going to go with the, uh, got to go with the bloody revolution, not yeah. with the help of U.S. or Israel. The people got to decide, got to raise up like they did in 1979 and take the ownership of that. And, and we got to uh, support every one of the, the, uh, the crisis yep. and take the best advantage of the crisis for the people against those that they are against our people. Yeah, you're, I totally agree. I don't mean to cut you off, it's just that I do have to end the show, but I do appreciate you calling, sharing, you know, these things. It's, there's a lot of nuance, obviously, so it's good to think of the different sides. I appreciate your support, and I feel that you care about the people of Iran based on, you know, why you even called in to begin with. So thank you for sharing your thoughts, and we, I'm with you, hoping for the best for the people of Iran. Thank you for your call. Thank, thank you for your program. Long live Iran. Thank you. Yes. All right. Thank you to that caller and everyone else who called in today and the listeners out there, and a big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Be kind and take risks. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.